Welcome to the Real Turf Techs Podcast for the technician that wants to get real. Follow along as we talk to industry professionals and address hot topics that we all face. Along the way, we'll learn tips and tricks. I'm your host, Trent Manning. Let's have some fun. This episode of Real Turf Techs on Golf Course Industries Superintendent Radio Network is presented by Foley Company a strong supporter of equipment technicians and golf course maintenance departments everywhere. Foley Company offers a proven solution for above and below the turf, for turf professionals everywhere. To learn more about Foley Company's line of real grinders, bed knife grinders, and the Air 2G2 family of products, or to find a distributor, visit www.foleyco.com. Foley, ready for play. Welcome to the Real Turf Techs Podcast, episode 48. Today we're talking to Gary Podansky, equipment manager at the Sharon Golf Club. The Sharon Club is a private 18-hole golf course located in Northeast Ohio. Gary has two assistants working with him in the shop, one full-time and one part-time. Gary has mostly Toro equipment, Smithco sprayers and Kubota tractors. Let's talk to Gary. Welcome, Gary, to the Real Turf Techs podcast. How you doing today? Hey, Trent. Good to see you. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> yep, we've been seeing a lot of each other on. Oh, I know these CTM calls, and that's been uh, a really fun process. It has been. It has. It's, it's hard to believe it's been five years that I've been on that task group, and I'm sure I don't know if you were on before that, but. I got the call from Mark Jordan at the time. He's um, well, he's the president right now, GCSAA. Right, right. And he's at the Westfield course, pretty close by here, not too far. Same county. We're in the same county. Okay. And I've known Mark since. See, he started at Westfield in 1988. I started at Sharon in 1988. Okay. Probably have known Mark probably a year, maybe a year or two after we started. So. All right. That's awesome. It's been a good relationship over the years. So it's been That's a very good guy. Good. Good. Tell us how you got into the turf industry. So, I have to, have to uh, back up a little bit. Years okay. like ni- 1972. And my mother took a job at the Sharon Golf Club, working at the kitchen. At the time, I grew up on a strawberry farm. I didn't know anything about golf. So then we fast forward to 1988, and I'm in this area with school. I was at Akron U, I was taking chemical engineering for three years. And then they hit the wall. It's like, really don't want to do this. So my mom said, hey, they're looking for a mechanic down at the golf course. So, you know, what your mother says to do, you do. She's oh, of course. Tough, she's a tough lady. She's going to be 96 here in a few weeks. So. Oh, that's like, awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. So I, I had known the course. It stopped in once while well as far as clubhouse and stuff this year. So I came in and got the, the interview with Frank Doby, who's um, just retired here. End of 2020. He's been a, been a great, as far as talk about mentor and things like that. General manager, superintendent for 56 years here at Sharon. So wow. pretty much my whole time here was under Frank Doby. And then the last five, six years, he was general manager, senior agronomist, and then David Wilmot, the current superintendent who started here 25 years ago as an intern. Wow. And just and never, and never left. That must be a special here. place there. It is. It is. Because here, I'm actually like one of the newbies because the, the <laughs> golf pro has over 40 years. The office manager has over 40 years. The 
assistant at over 50 years. And the irrigation tech, he's still here. He's got 57 years. Wow. So we just, uh, did it. This is special. So I came in and interviewed with Frank and I'm thinking, turning wrenches. Here I am on this college track thinking, all right, I'm going to do all these lofty things. And I said, I'm not going to give you like five days. I'll try it for five days. Mm-hmm. See how it goes. I remember the first day I came in and there was a, um, workman, Toro work, or not workman, a workmaster, the old Toro workmaster. Okay. Little three wheel without a tiger stag type drive. And they said, it won't start. Skin's over real good. It won't start. And I'm looking at it. And I pulled the dipstick out. It was like no oil. <laughs> so right away, I'm like, oh, what am I getting myself in for? It blew the rod. But so I think after that five days, it was like, wow, there's so many different cool things. I could see it. I could see the potential. But the shop itself was fairly small. Yeah, but I could just, I like to tinker. And growing up on the farm, we're always working on things, always working on tractors and just everything under the sun. And this was cool about golf course because there's so much different equipment, so much mm-hmm. different things to do. And at the time, I was working in the, I took a job at a rubber plant. I was working second shift. And so probably for about two, three weeks, I'd work at the golf course in the morning. I go second shift of the rubber plant. And I did this, like I said, for two, three weeks. And then I'm like, now forget the rubber plate because I get tired of smelling like rubber running on me. So then I just committed to the golf course and, and it's been like every day and no problem going to work every day. It's been great. That's awesome. That is great for you. It, it is. It's been at one place for, you know, so many years is it just ticks by. Have you had to do anything to keep it from getting stagnant? Over that many years. So the one thing that when I started here was basically a blank slate. This shop needed improved. It was like 1,500 square feet, the actual working area. Mm-hmm. Given my background with, uh, with the engineering, and I did finish my engine, my degree. I switched up, went to mechanical technology engineering, and I finished up while I was working at Sharon. So I wanted to make sure I got that done. I got involved in, in CAD drawing and things like that. Mm-hmm. And my, my big push was like, we need to expand the shop. The first thing I did was I built my own office. I worked at the counter there in the shop, had a little file cabinet under there, like out in the middle of the shop, file cabinet. Come on, we need some kind of like, kind of office to do some work. So I, I actually set out and with Frank's blessing, here's what I want to do. I always propose, like, here, this is, I think, the way we need to, to do mm-hmm. this. And so, yeah, yeah. built the shot, blew some holes in the block wall, put some levels in, put double ping windows, so I got good visibility. It's fairly soundproof. At the time, I had like air compressor over here in the shop. And so, my goal was to move all that stuff out of here compressor, everything, and add a little more room. So, boy, they had a wash bay. Or the area to paint, paint safely, and then an area to put all our uh, oils, any solvents, and everything. So I got a, a special room here in the corner that's basically everything's explosion proof on it. Keep everything on that end of the building, and they have another area where the move the air compressor and all those other utilities. So also opened up the shop, so it's quiet. What all do you paint there? So there for a while we were stripping stuff down, painting equipment, taking it down the bare frame. 
okay. racing, blasting it, you know, taking it off and just like an automotive type setup. And it just, I always felt that a piece of equipment that looks good gets taken care of better. I agree. You yep. know, plus it cleans up better. You know, it yep. just, so, you know, and then of course, ball washers and team workers and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mainly we were painting equipment, taking down the bare epoxy, proxy primer, calize urethane, sometimes top coat, sometimes clear coat, just mm-hmm. throw a little pearl in there, make a little shine. <laughs> so over the years, I've taken a couple of triplexes, taken them all down bare frame, an old Cushman truckster, which is the, uh, Irrigation techs with some mm-hmm. uh, job boxes on the side, the aluminum boxes, and yeah, okay. yeah kind of cool. trick trick things out, but also just the general pay, just to really have a place that you could pay and not have anybody around it or interfere with the other operations. Because mm-hmm. so many times you paint something, you got somebody else that's got something going on, and it's just a little bit of a conflict. So right. just to have that private area, and so that's what made things not be stable because here I am I'm drawing up these little areas saying this is what we need and mm-hmm. working on that and then from there we added pesticide of the chemical storage building which was like a three-year endeavor mm-hmm. of, of designing and getting all that uh, information and getting everybody's input on that design so it was one of the designs that I actually could Draw up, he had probably about nine sheets. Went down to the building department and they're like, this looks good. Stamped it. And so we're able to start construction on that in, that was 1995. So it's been a bit of a while. Awesome. I got involved in some of the fabrication of, you know, we did some stainless steel work, stainless steel sumps, double wall, rinse eight systems and the, the whole work. And then it's, you, you you do a project like that, you're like so involved into it. And then when you're done, you just kind of let it go and say, what's the next project to, yes. to start yeah. on? And I think you know. a lot of us think along those same lines. And we probably, at least I've been told, should slow down and really appreciate what we just accomplished. But that's not who we are. We're ready yeah. to jump on to the next thing. Right. No, it, yeah, it's, it's like a little kid. What's going on next? They're not mm-hmm. done with the one thing. But no, I've got a whole list of things, and I'm sure you do. That's, you know, this is good, this is good, this is good. And then just start ticking off the list when the timing's right, how mm-hmm. things fit. Yep. Always getting better, always improving. Walk us through your daily shop routine in the season. I get here early in the morning. My first thing is make that coffee. Got to have the coffee. And then it's, it's quiet time. And then it's like nobody's around yet. You don't have the crew show up. So it gives you a minute to think, that Zen moment to think about the day and what's going to happen. And because usually once the crew starts in, it's just, you never know what's going to transpire. Mm-hmm. So I, I get that coffee and then I, I actually walk through like around the equipment and look, it's that mechanics eye, the intuition eye and these certain things, whether whether it's a low tire, you start to see an oil spot or, or like something that was maybe put away broken. Imagine that happening and nobody ever say anything. You see those items and then you know this. You put it on your schedule, whether it's like an immediate attention, obviously it's a tire or something like that or, or an oil spot. And then after everybody gets here and gets mowing, it's always go out and check the equipment. How long do you spend riding around? 
Jagging oh, what, probably half hour, 45 minutes, okay. sometimes an hour. It depends yeah, on you start to see something. But, yeah, definitely. And sometimes if I'm, like, preoccupied, I'll send my assistant out to, yeah. to mm-hmm. look at it. Yeah. How important yeah. is that, getting the assistant out on the course and trying to show him or her what your eyes are seeing? That's like huge because there'll be a lot of times that, especially like in the afternoon, we'll walk together. Because sometimes you don't see certain problems till, till later in the day mm-hmm. after the dew's gone and all that. And then we'll, yep. that or, or it's just a, um, kind of like a little meeting where we talk about things that need to be looked at or done. It's like, hey, yeah, I've seen this. Or somebody said something about it. It's like, hey, come on, let's go out and take a look at it. Yeah. 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 That's good stuff. Do you relief grind? Oh, that's what I learned to do, relief grind. Okay. So when I got here, we had a, I guess a Paris model, like a 1340, an open frame built back from, they probably built it from the 20s to the late 60s. And that's all you could do. That was mm-hmm. it. It was relief grind. So you had the option of street grinding or of hook grinding. Hook grinding, you would grind a bed knife first. It was an ideal bed knife grinder, probably like a model 50. Big thing they would say was you could do bed knives and ice skates. That was their big promotion. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we would grind a bed knife first, mount it back in frame, and then there's a little hook hooked over the edge of the bed knife. It had a little hardened, probably a carbide, little carbide tip on it. So as the grinder ran across, it would follow that bed knife. So that's why you wanted to grind the bed knife first. So you had a straight, a straight edge. Okay. Then you're grinding each blade. And of course, like I said, it's just relief grind and you grind it all the way out. Mm-hmm. Then you take the unit off and then you backlap. Oh, okay. No spin grind. There's no spin grinding at the time uh-huh. on this grinder. Right. There's spin grinding, spin grinding around, but on this grinder was no spin grinding. So you're basically, you're spin grinding. We'd back lap it in. It was a dirty, nasty job. Mm-hmm. Just, I know when I started here, to find a pair of safety glasses and a dust mist was, was tough to find. Mm-hmm. It wasn't very long. If you blew out grinding dust out of your nose a couple nights, like, all right, we need to get some safety going on. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it was probably like one of my first forays into, let's make sure we got some safety items mm-hmm. here. And they used to grind a mower. It was a Roseman Hydrogains. Roseman, there was like a 30, 30 inch reel. It was like a really thick blade, at least quarter inch thick, maybe thicker than that. And that's what we mowed rough with. And those need as much relief you could put on possible. Sometimes it would take you an hour to grind that reel, mm-hmm. to grind that, to grind that relief in there. And like I said, after probably about two, I think three years of grinding with that peerless grinder, I'm like, I'm starting to say, Hey, we need to like look mm-hmm. at some other grinders. At that point, were you just grinding once a year? No, pretty much most things, except the greens growers we'd break down and grind. We would grind in the summer. Mm-hmm. I mean, back then, I think it was a lot more standard, and that was probably state of the art was grinding once a year. You were on top of the program. And back, and back lap, back lap all the time. Yeah. 
Yeah, because there, it was so involved. It, granny took, it was like a whole month, solid month of just grinding every mm-hmm. day, eight hours a day. Grind. I looked at some of the other grinders and like the spin grinders in particular, I think it was the Bernhard. It was like, there was no relief option. Mm-hmm. And uh, it probably been fine for the smaller units, like the Griesmoor units. Yeah. But that Roseman, yeah. you have no relief on it. It's just, you can hear all the way across the course. Like, it'd be safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Spring-loaded bed knife on it. Mm-hmm. It was an interesting item. I'm glad mm-hmm. we finally get to rotaries in the rough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, see, one day, probably back in 1991, there was a black truck and a trailer pulled in. And there was a smooth-talking southern salesman named Don Cotton. Oh, oh, no, not Don Cotton. <laughs> <laughs> he had a grinder on that trailer in the back of his truck. It was the uh, TI-3000. It was a grinder that he was building there in Alabama. Mm-hmm. And I think he must have been coming from the show up northeast. And we looked at that grinder. We threw those Rosemans in there. And he just showed how easy it was. Big motor, big stone, and just grind them all down. And... and he left that grinder there, and we bought it right off the trailer, which is, oh, wow. is kind of weird. And I ran that grinder for 30 years. Wow. Okay. So I just got fully here a year ago. All right. But yeah, oh, was, oh. ever since the Doncon night, we always connect to Bruce every once in a while. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not a Don. Great guy. He is. I think we've got a um, little endeavor together of something I invented a number of years ago that he's been developing. Mm-hmm. Groom and Phil. Groom and Phil. Yep. Yep. I don't know. He actually brought it by my course. I'm trying to think when this was. It wasn't that long ago. Six months ago. Yeah. Yeah. He brought it by and we did a little demo with it and he'd made some uh, tweaks to it. I don't remember exactly what all he had done to it to try to make the design a little bit better and he was wanting to, to try it out. But it was a really cool concept. That y'all came up with there. Tell us something you've fabricated lately. So, lately, I've been on solar power. So, these, we have these, uh, we, for years and years, we had water cores on the Gold's course. And they were electric. We had electric lines run out there. We had water lines, just like your typical drinking fountain. And so, a few years back, we switched over to bottles. And then we decided to eliminate the electric lines out there. So we went to solar. So I've gotten a little bit of, uh, a little bit of construction as far as building these, and they look like wishing wells. Okay. So there was the, the wells were already out there, but I had to redesign it to incorporate your batteries, your charge controller, your power inverter. And so I've got four of those out there that I've been every year it seemed like I was building a new one, fabricating mm-hmm. and put the panels and little, the, the racking for that. I did all the, the wiring and the electrical and, and hooking it up. So it's a little bit of carpentry, a little bit of fabrication. Mm-hmm. Those are my little, I want to say, my little projects that it's interesting, but at the same time, it's getting involved in green energy, solar yeah. power, things like mm-hmm. that. But yeah, over the years, I've done a lot of different fabrication. So with the, um, 
that was a while ago with the pesticide storage building, all that, the fabrication with the rinse system and the overhead water booms and things like that. Yeah. And, and like I said, the little inventions here and there, the one with Don Cotton, there's always something. In this field, there's always something that you're tweaking with. I think that's why you didn't get stagnant because you're all these little projects that, and I'm pretty sure you were not a solar panel expert when you got involved with that, but you probably are now. You know what? And that's one thing. It's I always like to learn. Mm-hmm. I was called on the job training. Learn as you go and you take away something that you always remember and you'll use it in the future somewhere. Yep, exactly. What's your favorite tool and why? As I mentioned before, the the paint booth, put the paint booth in. I mean, one of my favorite tools is the spray gun, the paint spray gun. And because it's just like instant, it's like instant beautification. When you mm-hmm. take a, whatever it is, say you fabbed up something and assume it's that bare metal or something, you put that coat of paint on it and you make it look like, you make it look like, I'm going to say brand new, but just, wow, it just like pops out. Something about the paint and bringing out what you created. It just like adds, adds to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And the, I would say the second tool is the internet. Because I'm such an information junkie. And mm-hmm. that has been such a game changer in this business. Not only looking up information, like with the Twitter and all the other information and using instant feedback you get. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Sure. It is. Mm-hmm. It's just. Yeah, it's incredible what all you can learn out there. And you don't have to go through 25 books trying to find the one thing. You just type it in there and it right. pops up. Yeah, no, if you have the books. I used to be a big you know, library goer, the library mm-hmm. all the time. If you ask me the last time I was to the library, I couldn't tell you. I mean, yeah, yeah. unfortunately, it's not good for the library, but the library, I think the library is stepped up their game as far as internet access and some of the other digital media that's available. But now, like with my kids, I have to have internet at the house so they can do their schoolwork. And I'm sure a lot of other families are in the in the same boat. So it's, having internet is not really an option anymore. No, no. Well, definitely since with the pandemic and all the classes mm-hmm. out, it's just... Yeah. Yep, for sure. What do you do to relax or find some balance? I've always been a big proponent of exercise. And a number of years ago, probably 40 years ago, I started cycling, like, fairly often. Used mm-hmm. to do a, used to do a ride every year. It was from Columbus, Ohio, down to the Ohio River there and back. It was like 210 miles over two days. Oh, wow. And my brother would do that and some of my friends. And it's just, yeah. it always stuck with me. When I got an issue or something, I just get on that bike and I'll ride and, and it just clears your mind. Mm-hmm. One year I rode, I counted it up, kept track about 3,000 miles one year. That's incredible. And I'll, Great. and I'll start and I will ride in like cold weather. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't bother me. I've got the full outfit, cold rain. The only thing I don't like riding is wind. Wind is just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless it's, unless it's a tailwind, it's tough. I don't, I'm, do a lot of fishing and the gear is essential. If you got the right gear, the weather is bearable. Well, yeah. It's great. not as comfortable, but it's bearable. No, 
Oh yeah, yeah. It's like I spent a number of years hunting, like deer hunting in the winter, mm-hmm. and then it's just if you can keep your feet warm, you're good. That's right. Once the feet go, <laughs> yeah, it's all downhill after that. What's the strangest thing you've seen at work? So this has been a few years ago. Uh, that he was running a, a tractor with a front end loader. I think that was scooping sand down the top to mm-hmm. a spin. And I was like, oh, hey, look at something, you know? So I pull up and they said, well, I'm going to go look at the issue. So the tractor got it off the, you know, we got on, we went up to the course and we looked up. I don't even remember what it was, but we got back. We're like looking. It's like, park the tractor here, right? You know, like here, like, I'm like, we're not seeing mm-hmm. it, you know? And look over and, and we're on our maintenance on the bank like on the hillside everything's on the hillside okay so i'm starting laying and saying wait a minute i see some tracks leading off to the edge over there and so it kind of peer over and they see the tractor and the front bucket hooked on their tree so the tractor started rolling rolled off the concrete path through a little grass strip into the like the, the brush area Started rolling mm-hmm. down the round down the bank and hooked on this tree. If it would have went another five foot, I think it was like a twenty five foot drop, like straight down. Just we're on these, oh, wow. we're like on these uh, <laughs> sandstone ridges, and it was just like wow, you know. That still tells that story today. Not a scratch on the tractor or anything. It was wow, just like hooked over to yeah. So that was one of the strangest things I've I've seen. That's a good one. So how were you able to get it out of there? So we took the the loader back home and, you know, okay. hooked onto it and that, able to pull mm, it up. Without a scratch. That's, that's pretty impressive. So, yeah, if you're going to have an accident at work, that's the kind you want to have where nobody's hurt, nothing's damaged. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, definitely not. So that, that ridge extends along the whole course. And we had another incident where somebody got off a tractor, you know, they had to use the tree next to them. Well, they rolled over that that cliff, rolled over a couple times, was still running though. When he went to crazy. get it, that tractor though did take did take some damage. So the story is if you're gonna get off the tractor, you know, put in car or put in gear or set the brake or turn the wheels up, you know, you know do something. Yeah, yeah, something. <laughs> I'll just let it sit there. What's one of your pet peeves around the shop? No, oh, you know, somebody making a mess, not putting stuff away, just not cleaning stuff up. And I, I'm not sure where that comes from, you know. And we talked about it. We talked about meetings, you know. You mm-hmm. make a mess, clean it up, right? So leaving tools out, not putting away, leaving tools like to use something, you know, ask where it goes if you're not sure where it goes. But yeah, it's just to not clean up, you know, make a mess, clean it up. Yeah, that's the least you can do. It's it's not that hard. And if it's a really big mess, ask for help. Somebody might help you. Yeah, great. Oh, definitely. Clean up. <laughs> so you kind of alluded to this. Do you have a mentor in the industry? So I was thinking about, you know, my timeline here at Sharon, and I actually, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like living in my timelines because I can walk around the shop and, and early on, Frank Doby, the, the manager was always, you know, 
you know, if I had an idea or something, was always, you know, usually em- embrace the idea. You know, sometimes it always mm-hmm. didn't work out exactly what I was thinking, but to me, it taught me that they have, you know, confidence in you and they believe in what you do. Well, to show that, you know, they care about, you know, the job and the people work. And so, you know, I was taking that to be like the people that work around me to see what people do and yeah. work that way. In, in the uh, equipment side of it, you know, go back to my dad because ever since I was a little, little kid, four or five, working on, on, on all kinds of equipment at the farm. But then we had these field cars that we would get, you know, that's, we'd have a, an automobile that they didn't uh, want to use anymore, bring it out and we'd work on those, you know, whether it's work on the engine or the transmission or brakes or whatever. And then we'd take them mm-hmm. out and they'd be our little demolition fuel cars. And that was, okay. it was always like fun, probably dangerous, but it was fun. <laughs> you know, we have contact with people like you and, and Corey and, you know, the other one. And it's just mm-hmm. like, you know, I feel you guys are great because you're out there, especially the road mechanic and, you know, or Jerry Pate and that, and just, mm-hmm. you know, you see a lot of things, you know, which is one thing that, like I said, being where I'm at, yes, I'm familiar with my equipment, but the right. more you do, the more you know. I'm, I'm in awe of you guys because you'll know certain things that you've seen it, you know. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? And it's great. And that's the one thing about this industry. You talk about mentors, it's like, I think everybody's a mentor to everybody else because we all, you know, we all share, we all share freely. I think that's, that's an excellent point. We are all mentoring each other. And just like being part of the task group, I learned stuff from all the people on the task group. The WhatsApp group that we got going, I'm learning stuff from those people. Anytime you're talking to somebody that is like-minded, there's a potential to learn something. And it's just little stuff here and there that you pick up over time. But going back to being on the road, you know, I learned more doing that in two years than I would have 10 years at a golf course because you were just seeing different problems every single day. And yeah, you were working on one brand of equipment and you would run into a problem on that brand and then you would see it across whatever. If it was a problem with a sprayer, you're going to see it on 25 other sprayers. And then obviously you get better at working on that. I remember they came out with a rework for the Flex 21 for the gearbox. The seal's leaking and you have to change the side plate, put a van on it and all this stuff. Anyway, I think it paid an hour and a half, something like that was the repair time that the distributor got paid for doing this repair and the first one took me about four hours (laughs) to to get it out because i i had never done one before and you got to pull the old seals out put new ones in anyway but after i done about i I did 25 in a matter of two weeks and i got it down to 45 minutes in and out just Getting that mindset, you get all the tools that you need laid out or whatever, and you can burn through them. But going to different shops with really talented equipment managers, and they were not able to solve the problem. And it was on you to solve the problem 
there's a lot of pressure there. Mm-hmm. And luckily for us, we had Toro we could call, the TAC team in Minnesota, and they'd probably already heard of the problem, most likely. But if they hadn't, they were very helpful. And the amount of online training, and this was, you know, 08, 09, but there was a ton of online training for distributors from Toro. And I don't know how many nights in a hotel I would fall asleep watching training videos or, or whatever. Great. Whether it's hydraulic troubleshooting or electric troubleshooting. And it was a great experience. What would be your dream job or opportunity? I would have to say that um, I'm actually living my dream job. You know, the people I've met over the years, and I probably know, I know I know superintendents, they do equipment managers. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, a lot, a lot of it has to do with, with uh, Frank. He was so well, well-connected, Penn State, State graduate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, friends of his would come by, like Terry Buchan was a regular visitor. He'd stop by. Jim Loke was a regular visitor. Um, Dr. Dewage said earlier, Mark Jordan and his close involvement with the equipment manager task group. Like I said before, I got involved in being able to take this blank slate, make it what I've wanted to be. I went from about 6,000 square feet of maintenance facility to over 20,000. Wow. In this, and it took some years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From three buildings to six buildings. That's a great. Granted, some of them are large, you know, storage buildings, but yeah. still, still. It, it is. The one thing that impressed me one day, and this was probably, wasn't quite 20 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. I'm in the shop. Phone rings, you know, surprise, who answers this phone? You know, I working in the shop. Mm-hmm. There was a lady on the phone and she had a, she had an accent. It was, um, Spanish accent. She was calling from Spain and she was wanting to know, like, the location that her boss wanted to come and visit, like, me. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like, I can only, it was kind of weird. I couldn't only imagine yeah, who yeah, it yeah. was. And like, yeah. and so, you know, after phone here, it's Jamie Ortez Patino. The owner of Volderama. Oh, wow. And uh, seen a couple of articles that I'd written for the USGA record. One was on the pesticide storage, the other was the evolving maintenance facility back in mm-hmm. the late 90s, early 2000s. And um, just, he wanted to come by. He was thinking about building a sister course at the time. So, you know, a few weeks later, shop tour. And yeah. it, it's things like that, you know, appreciate like, you must be doing something right, you know. Oh, for you, sure. Oh, wow, that is so amazing. Awesome. So, I like I said, get up every day, love coming to work. Always, and like I said, I have a list of things to, you know, want to improve on. And, and that's what keeps me on. Yep, for sure. If you could work with another technician for a day, who would it be? I'd have to say Chris Graham. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah. Did you work with Chris? I know. I, I loved working with Chris. And I talk about it on the podcast all the time, and the listeners are probably tired of hearing about it. But the one week I spent at Bell Reeve at the 100th PGA Championship working with Chris Rapp, I'll never forget as long as I live. And Chris is a great human being. Oh, yeah. Awesome. 
down to earth, do anything, give you the shirt off his back type of guy and just laid back, knows what's going on and yeah, you know, goes with the flow. And yeah, no, that's, you know, the first year with the equipment pants group with Chris on there, just like, wow, you know, you know that mm-hmm. here's a very smart individual that just, and that laid back part of it, just, yeah, yeah. awesome. Because I've met a lot of equipment managers over the years, and not all of us are laid back. But you're pretty laid back, yeah. it seems like, from what I see. Yeah. And that's the other thing, being on the task group and even going to show and meeting people, it's it's hard to tell who they really are, like when they're in the heat of the moment type thing. Yeah. Yeah. But Chris, Chris is definitely laid back. Yeah, it's like you have it. Under control, you know, you have a long, cool exterior and under control. I mean, for mm-hmm. me, I'm, I'm a a very quiet person. That's my nature. I, mm-hmm. If I see something that's not right, I'm not, I'm going to bring it up. You know, I'm not going to be like silent about things. So I tend to see to like, you know, look everything over and see how things are going and, and, uh, and then, you know, like bring it up, up with it. See, see something, see something, right? Oh, exactly. So yesterday, the club, they're clearing a hillside and cutting down small trees. And I hear the chainsaw running, and I look over there, and I don't see any orange. So I immediately think, he's not wearing his chaps. So I drive over there, and I said, where are your chaps? Oh, they're, they're in the gator. And it was pretty cold yesterday. So I don't know if it'll fit over these clothes. The chaps. And I said, if you don't have the chaps on, you don't use the chainsaw. That's our rule. Great. So if it won't fit over your clothes, we'll have to buy some bigger ones, but you're not running a chainsaw without chaps on. It's just too dangerous. And he's like, okay. And obviously he gets the chaps on and I hear the chainsaw running again later. I look up there and I see the orange. See the orange, yeah. That's one of the good things that I was just thinking about that yesterday about them being orange. So it's a whole lot easier from a distance. You can identify, do they have them on or not? Well, yeah, no, definitely. Probably about nine, ten years ago, maybe 12 years ago, got involved with the OSHA on-site consultation, which is a free service that's sponsored by OSHA, available in all 50 states. Okay. Have a consultant come out. You can have them go through everything or certain things or whatever you want. And, um, I could just remember that I was telling, telling Craig, he said, you know what? I'm going to call and have like OSHA come out, you know, <laughs> then mm-hmm. I had to explain exactly what, you know, what that involved yeah, yeah, yeah. with the consultation. Yeah. Cause you know, a lot of, I think a lot of courses, they're a little bit leery about when somebody says OSHA, it's just like, oh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. the consultation group, that's the, what they call good OSHA. You know, they always build themselves with the good OSHA. So uh, through your, your programs, whether your HASCOM programs or your, you know, respiratory programs, your emergency evacuation, all those. So I did get involved in like the whole program for the club itself. So I get okay. heavily involved yeah. in that. So some of that, that you know, we talked about your daily routine, you know, checking equipment and just like you brought up about the chainsaws, you know, if you, Something like whether it's safety glasses or hearing protection, and like, and usually I'll usually I always carry some safety glasses with me in my cart. It's like, 
Okay. You need to put knees yeah. on, you know? And they're yep. so cheap. You need white boxes on them. It's like, so I can't stress enough, and I've talked about it a number of times, um, different education sessions about, you know, that service and that's being free to, I mean, sure, you can do a little bit of work, but it's, it's not all that terrible, you know? Yeah, maybe some signage here or, you know, make sure you leave your programs in order or you got the programs. Mm-hmm. Just pretty. So how, how does that work when you call them and have them come out? They just give you a list of things that need to be addressed. So you call them out, consult will come out, have like a meeting, then you just do a walk around, you know, look, you look at your electric panels, it's, you know, your signs, you look at your fire extinguishers, you know, they picked off, you got a wash, you would take a nose. Your grinders, are, are you up to specs? And just mm-hmm. find spaces. You know, anything that, and these see so many things that you don't really see sometimes, or you're not even aware of, because regulations for, sure. for you know, just like you used to books, it was like stacked, you know, four books. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I, every year, I come out, we always just do a walk around and it gets easier every year. You know? Yeah, yeah. Is that a free service it's, they offer? It's, it's a free service. Okay. Yeah, that is great. You know, but you do have to make the corrections. Right, right. Yeah, but I think for a lot of clubs, we do want to be doing things the right way. If you're not doing it the right way, it's liability. Oh, yeah, definitely. We're the first consultant they come out, and he's like, this is the first time I've ever been to a golf course. Wow. Okay. They do a lot of industry. A lot of yeah, yeah, yeah. manufacturing yeah, sure. factories. And, and mm-hmm. it, so I, I think they, they definitely appreciate it because it's, it's a little different environment than what they're used to. I think you bring up a very valid point. Um, a lot of us don't know what the regulations are. Maybe we've heard about our bench grinder and the stop or the rest needs to be a certain distance. Maybe we've heard of that. Maybe we hadn't. But I went to a, a steel class a few years ago i try to go every year i went this past year but several years ago learned about the chain catch mm-hmm. that catches the chain when it comes off the bar and i knew there was a chain catch there and i knew it should be on the piece of equipment i didn't know it was like a 1500 dollars fine if it's not there right and the other thing i found a lot of them on the bigger saws is just a little piece of aluminum. So if the chain comes off one or two times, then it breaks off and the operator doesn't know that it broke off. So he doesn't say anything. Or if he did see the piece laying on the ground, he said, I don't know what that is and throws it in the woods or whatever. So I do try to make a habit of going through the small equipment room and looking at the chainsaw and make sure the chain catch is working. Yeah, no, that's a good, that's a good point. And you don't, Part of your walk around or whatever you do and, you know, daily routine, you put it on the list and, you know, a lot of stuff like falls under guarding, things like that. It's, it's uh, with shit. If you don't mm-hmm. have a guard on something or it's not there. Yeah, yeah. What do you know now that you wish you'd known on day one? Phrase I've heard often is like, you know, don't put the small stuff, you know, kind of like take a deep breath, you know, kind of look, look it over and, you know, when you, you have things happen. Sometimes there's like a knee jerk reaction about, you know, mm-hmm. oh my God, you know. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah. I guess it mellowed out even more 
or so I've mellowed out over the years and, um, that everything, you know, everything works out as long as nobody's dead, you know, it's going to work out. And the other thing is more, more like a tip, but it's like, you know, the manual, look at the books, look at the literature you have. And there's so many guys that start on stuff and it's like, well, look at the book, you know, or, or, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, because things do change, but it's like I said, an information junkie, I'm always starting to look at things that I'm going to work on before I work on it. And, you know, what, even just a parts breakdown or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it's yeah. playing your uh, process ahead of time and, and things will go a lot easier because I don't know mm-hmm. how many times you take, you take something off. It's like, Oh, shouldn't have took that off. Like, like mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> and I would say far as younger people in the industry, that's some of the biggest mistakes. I guess you would call that a mistake. Um, is they'll jump in and just start taking everything apart instead of really looking at it and saying, okay, to get this one piece off, I want to have to remove this and this. I'm not going to have to remove 25 things. I really only need to remove these two things. Right. Right. So, so I, I think that's a, a great thing. And if, uh, there's any firefighters or volunteer firefighters, Listening, I think they would be familiar with this term, scene size up. So they're always sizing up the scene mm-hmm. as they're walking up to the scene. They don't run to a fire. They walk up, they're sizing everything up. Scene safety. Yeah. No, it's, that's, like I said, that's a good point. And then, and a lot of that comes with, you know, experience and maturity that, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, yeah, for sure. Look at what you have in hand. Get ready for tips and tricks. What are some of the latest tips and tricks you want to share with us? So, one trick that I used not too long ago that's kind of like is take a race, like a bearing race that's mm-hmm. like in a blind hole, you know, that, that bead, that bead of weld mm-hmm. in there. That actually works pretty good. I did, I had, oh, some, yeah. had some rollers here that were sitting on the bench, some that didn't get to for a while. And I'm like, you know what? Let me go over and try this. I was impressed with that. I like that one. And then not too long ago, I seen where somebody was using the air pressure to remove like rubber boots and things like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. And um, I saw that on Twitter just the other day too. So years ago we were doing rake handle and they had the little rubber grip on there and they got a little mm-hmm. hole in the rubber grip. So we would take that air hose. We put it up there and it was great because it would expand it enough. You could put the rubber grip where you wanted it, move it, rotate it, and just, you know, let the off it just clinch right down. And then also, uh, spark plug boots. If you got stubborn spark plug boots, or boots, you know, seat onto the plug, mm-hmm. is, um, you could, a couple different ways you can do it. If you could sneak a small, thin air tube past the ignition wire and blow air okay. down there, yeah. or, or put a little, like a little hook, on one and reach down the other way and blow air, you know, to mm-hmm. expand that boot out. Because I literally, yeah, yeah. literally had those boots on there that were so tight that you end up breaking the insulator trying to get the spark plug out. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, another another little tip. I don't know if it's about a tip. Or wanting something, and I've over the years, you know, been expanding where I'm at. Is I've always done my homework as far as with the, you know, search on the item 
a procedure I'm wanting to accomplish. Say if it's an item you're going to buy, you know, cost and who else has it, all those resources. And with the superintendent or the stakeholders or whoever's involved in making those decisions, they want to see, you know, success. They want mm-hmm. to see success with their business at the golf course, success of making sure that everything works right. And if they know that you've done or seen you've done like the research involvement in why this item or procedure is necessary, um, yeah, yeah. the homework goes a long way. You know, say, hey, I need this. Does it really work out too well? But it's like, why do you need it? And there's the, the backup. Yeah, yeah. If you got some evidence to, to back up and justify why you need to make a purchase, for sure. That's Yeah, it's great. What are the biggest changes you've seen over the course of your career? With equipment, technology involved in the equipment. You know, it used to be, I can remember, you know, the last time I ran a sprayer, it was like a, we had, we had a little trailer on the back of a Cushman and they had a little, little boom valve. It was like a rope, like on, mm-hmm. off, on, off. And if you had a problem, the problem was usually the rope work, you know. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. if you look back and your boom's not on, not off, it's like the shooting involves in going through the, you know, electrics of a system can be very involved, very time consuming. Technology, technology is good, especially in, in GPS with the sprayers and all mm-hmm. that. I think that's amazing. That old technology is just like absolutely, you know, I love the mm-hmm. fact, I love the fact the way that works. And so far, and the spare we've had in the last five years has been pretty, pretty bulletproof, worked pretty good. But sometimes you get into technology where you, you're not the person that can solve this problem. You know, there's a problem. So you have to either call a dealer to kind of hook up and see where, where things are going on. That's where I see where there's like a little bit of a stumbling block, you know, as far as troubleshooting. You're not. Always able to accomplish the troubleshooting that you want to accomplish. <clears throat> right. You kind of like Yep. And I don't know where that'll end up, but I know there's a big push for right to repair and getting the software out there, making it available to the end user. I know John Deere has an option where you can get their service advisor. It's last I heard anyway, it was like 1500 bucks for the software slash cable and then $1,500 a year. And I don't know how many clubs are going to foot the bill for that, but it'll be a supply and demand thing. Right. If you're having to get a mobile tech out 10 times a year, maybe it's worth it. Well, and sometimes just like you call to get somebody to come out and it's like, oh, they can there like a couple of weeks you know, so sometimes it's, oh, a, sure, it's a time yeah. it's a yeah. time factor mm-hmm. too yep no that's very true tell us about teaching the younger generation so and kind of your endeavors and what all you got going on so about four years ago i was approached by uh, dr ed nangle of ohio state university there ati branch to campus who's the turf grass real lower maintenance class most of the students refer to as the reels class. Mm-hmm. So I thought about it and I'm like, a lot of times I just like jump and just jump in and see what happens, you know? Mm-hmm. So you know, this is my fourth year because I'm teaching a class right now. It's four nights a week. So 
this is fourth time teaching the class and you know it's a little easier and i'm gonna say the students the younger generation you know people are like their eyes are like wide open mm-hmm. no idea like the concept of certain things i have a mix of students that are going to be superintendents some are going to be you know equipment managers and mm-hmm. the mechanical ability you know from like zero to like really knows what they're doing and it's great to be able to, to, you know, show students like the proper way up front of how things should be done, measured, all those things yep. that I had to learn from either books. Well, at the time it was books. And yeah. but to have somebody, you know, that's, that's been in the industry so many years to say, well, here, this is what you're going to see. This is what you need to do. This is what the problem is. Students have really, you know, they like it because I try yeah, to keep it, awesome. I try to keep it hands on, you know, mm-hmm. I teach lecture like theory, yeah. you know, as far as, you know, real geometry of frequency of clip and attitude and how to affect after cut appearance and things like that. But, you know, we're, we're busting reels out, busting them out, we're setting them up, grinding, setting them up and, you know, try to get as many, uh, types of brands in there. So I get the Toro. The Jacobson, the um, the John Deere, mm-hmm. yep. those get the main three through there. I'm not mm-hmm. bearing this yet, but like I said, I wasn't sure what I was going to see when I first jumped in. But you know, after I bowled into it, I liked that part of it. And then I started teaching another class, which was more of a mostly freshman classes, turf equipment operation and maintenance. Okay, so yeah, yeah. where we'd actually go out to. I think there has a course, golf course, just north of campus to go out there and mm-hmm. actually run, you know, green mowers and fairway mowers and rough mowers and they learn to change cups and rake bunkers. And, and then the second half of the class, they learn to do the preventative maintenance, you know, mm-hmm. change the oils and we do a little troubleshooting, like if it won't start, you know, what to look for and just a real, real basic class, but at least it yeah, gives yeah. them that, that, um, that idea of equipment. And, you know, what to look for, because, you know, if you're in, um, starting out in the industry, you never know where you're going to be at. But you have somebody that's there to work on equipment. You may not have somebody there to work on equipment, but at least if you have an idea of what to look mm-hmm. at. And yeah, yeah, yeah. it also it gives them a chance to see if maybe they do like working Mm-hmm. Doing those things. Exactly. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll take the reels class and they'll take some of the other classes and just, and so get us some more technicians, equipment managers in the field, which is where, yeah. where I'm at because, you know, I can't do this forever and you can't do this forever. And we need the ones to come up and show us a few things, which I'm always learning. I'm always learning from whether it's an older person, a younger person. It's been fun. That's awesome. I'm so glad for you. How many students do you have? The reels class, we keep it small, like five or six. I think the most I've had is seven because I got the bed knife grinder, the real grinder, and it kind of gets backed up. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the other class, I've had as many as 22. This, okay. this, yeah. this last year, it's 17. So, you know, fair amount. Some of those students are going to be in, like in sports turf, some golf course mm-hmm. turf management. Some are going to be at the quick you know, in the event. So there's, there's a, you know, good variety. But yeah. I, they, if you take the, so Ohio State has this program 
specifically for turf grass equipment management. It's a, it's mm-hmm. a certificate program. So it's basically, it's uh, two semesters, you do an internship and you get a certificate. But you learn welding, you learn reels, small engines, hydraulics, drive lines, electrics. Yep. So you get a pretty good, um, balanced, you know, education, bold in that. Right, right, right. And then you do an internship with a course and then you're market and there's so many openings for. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, anytime. It doesn't matter if you go to GCSA or TurfNet or wherever you go to look for job postings. There's all kind of equipment managers or technicians. and Yeah. That's one thing. You can always move around. I definitely think that's one one of the perks is, yeah, you can move anywhere in the country that you want to go. There's golf everywhere. There is. Well, let the listeners know how they can get a hold of you. They have a Twitter handle. It's GBOG2001 at gbo 2001 and mostly I, you know if they do tweets it's usually school school related thank you so much gary well, no, for thank being you. On. this is it's been great i know the listeners are gonna love it i hope so <laughs> and we will see you in san diego yes we will i hope you enjoyed hearing from gary what a great guy and can you believe how long he's been at the sharing club and not just him but is GM Super. And that's unbelievable. So you know they take really good care of their employees. And I think that's what we're all looking for, is to find that spot where they care about us and they take care of us and they got our back. I'm really thankful for what Gary's doing for the next generation of technicians at OSU, ATI. We need more EMs teaching, whether it's a, a local college, a tech school, their local chapter, or for GCSA. GCSA will have an opening for proposals for next year's conference and show starting February 15th. If you're interested in teaching something, please submit a proposal. They're always looking for new ideas. Gary's experience with OSHA has been so valuable in developing CTEM and he's an absolute expert on safety and on painting he has a whole paint booth at his shop it's uh, really incredible and I can't thank Gary enough for being a guest and how much it means to me and to this industry until next time see you bye Thank you so much for listening to the Real Turf Techs podcast. I hope you learned something today. Don't forget to subscribe. If you have any topics you would like to discuss or you'd like to be a guest, find us on Twitter at Real Turf Techs. See you bye.